Chapter Two of Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Crystal Treader. Gormala. All that night I thought of the dead child and of the peculiar vision which had come to me. Sleeping or waking, it was all the same. My mind could not leave the parents in procession as seen in immigration or their distracted mien in reality. Mingled with them was the great-eyed, aquiline-featured, gaunt old woman who had taken such an interest in the affair and in my part of it. I asked the landlord if he knew her, since, from his position as postmaster, he knew almost everyone for miles around. He told me that she was a stranger to the place. Then he added, I can't imagine what brings her here. She has come over from Peterhead two or three times lately, but she doesn't seem to have anything at all to do. She has nothing to sell, and she buys nothing. She's not a tripper, and she's not a beggar, and she's not a thief, and she's not a worker of any sort. She's a queer-looking lot, anyhow. I fancy from her speech that she's from the West, probably from some of the far-out islands. I can tell that she has the Gaelic from the way she speaks. Later on in the day, when I was walking on the shore near the Hakla, she came up to speak to me. The shore was quite lonely, for in those days it was rare to see anyone on the beach except when the salmon fishers drew their nets at the ebbing tide. I was walking towards Winifold when she came upon me silently from behind. She must have been hidden among the bent grass of the sand-hills, for had she been anywhere in view I must have seen her on that desolate shore. She was evidently a more imperious person. She at once addressed me in a tone and manner which made me feel as though I were in some way an inferior, and in somehow to blame. "'What for did ye not tell me what ye saw yesterday?' Instinctively I answered, I don't know why, perhaps because it seemed so ridiculous. Her stern features hardened into scorn as she replied, Are death and the doom then so ridiculous that they pleasure ye until silence? I somehow felt that this was a little too much, and was about to make a sharp answer, when suddenly it struck me as a remarkable thing that she knew already. Filled with surprise, I straightway asked her, why, how on earth do you know? I told no one. I stopped, for I felt all at sea. There was some mystery here, which I could not fathom. She seemed to read my mind like an open book, for she went on looking at me as she spoke, searchingly, and with an awed smile. Eh, hey, laddie, do you know ken that you have een that can see? Do ye no understand that ye have een that can speak? Is it that one with the gift of second sight? Has no one understanding of it? Why, your face, when ye saw the mark of doom, was like a printed book to ye'en like mine. Do you mean to tell me, I asked, that you could tell what I saw simply by looking at my face? Na, na, laddie, not all that, though a seer am I, but I knew that you had seen the doom. It's not that varied that there need be any mistake. After all, death is only one, in whatever way we may speak. 
After a pause of thought, I asked her, If you have the power of second sight, why did you not see the vision, or whatever it was, yourself? Eh, laddie, she answered, shaking her head. Tis little ye can all the wark o' the fates. Learn ye then that the voice speaks only as it listeth to chosen ears, and the vision comes only to chosen een. None can will to hear or to see, to pleasure themselves. Then, I said, and I felt that there was a measure of triumph in my tone, if to none but the chosen is given to know, how comes it that you, who seem not to have been chosen on this occasion at all events, know all the same? She answered with a touch of impatience. Do ye ken, young sir, that even mortal e'en have power to see much? If there be behind them the thought that the knowledge and the experience to guide them are right? How, think ye, is it that some can see much, and learn much as they gain, while others go blind as the motorwart at the end of the journey as before it? Then perhaps you will tell me how much you saw, and how you saw it. Ah, to them that have seen the doom, there needs but small guidance to their thoughts. Too lang and too often have I my sin seen the death's ark, and the watch-cradle and the dead-hole, not to know when they are seen to either een. Na, na, laddie, what I kent of your seeing was no by the gift, but only by the use of my proper een. I kent not the muckle o' what ye saw, not whether it was ain or either o' the garnishes o' the dead, but will, I kent that it was a death. Then, I said interrogatively, second sight is altogether a matter of chance. Chance, chance, she repeated with scorn. Now, young sir, when the voice has spoken, there is no more chance than that the night will follow the day. You mistake me, I said, feeling somewhat superior now that I had caught her in an error. I did not for a moment mean that the doom, whatever it is, is not a true forerunner. What I meant was that it seems to be a matter of chance in whose ear the voice, whatever it is, speaks, when once it has been ordained that it is to sound in the ear of someone. Again she answered with scorn, Na, na, there is no chance o' oct about the doom. Them that send forth the voice and the seeing know well to whom it is sent and why. Can ye not comprehend that it is for no barren play that such goes forth? When the voice speaks, it is mainly followed by tears and woe and lamentation. Nay, nor is it not only one bit manifestation that stands by its lanes, remote and isolate from all either. Truly tis but a parrot o' the great scheme of things. And be sure that whoso is chosen to see or to hear is chosen weal, and must have their part in what is to be, on to the vera end. Am I to take it? I asked, that second sight is but a little bit of some great purpose which has to be wrought out by means of many kinds, and that whoso sees the vision, or hears the voice, is but the blind unconscious instrument of fate? Ay, laddie, weel enough the fates know their wishes and their work. No need to the help or the thought of any human, blind or seeing, sane or silly, conscious or unconscious. All through her speaking I had been struck by the old woman's use of the word fate. 
and more especially when she used it in the plural. It was evident that Christian though she might be, and in the West they are generally devout observants of their duties of their creed. Her belief in this respect came from some of the old pagan mythologies. I should have liked to question her on this point, but I feared to shut her lips against me. Instead, I asked her, "'Tell me, will you, if you don't mind, of some case you have known yourself of second sight?' "'Tis no for them to brag or boast to whom has been given to see the work o' the hand o' fate. But sin ye are yourself a seer, and would learn, then I may speak. I have seen the sea ruffle without cause in the very spot where later a boat was to gang doon. I have heard on a lone moor the hammering o' the coffin right when one passed me who was soon to dee. I have seen the death-sark fold round the spirit of a drowned one, in baith my sleepin' and my wakin' dreams. I have heard the settin' doom o' the spikes, and I have seen the weepers on o' the crude that walked. Ay, and in money, and neither way have I seen and heard the comin' o' the doom. But did all the seeings and hearings come true? I asked. Did it ever happen that you heard queer sounds or saw strange sights, and that yet nothing came of them? I gather that you do not always know to whom something is going to happen, but only that death is coming to someone. She was not displeased at my questioning, but replied at once, Nadut! But there are times when what is seen or heard has no manifest following. But think ye, young sir, how many a corp still waited for lies in the depths of the sea, how many lie out on the hillsides or are fallen in deep places where their bones whiten unkent. Nay, more, to how many has death come in a way that men think that the work o' nature, when his hastening has come fray the hand of man, untold? This was a difficult matter to answer, so I changed, or rather varied, the subject. How long must elapse before the warning comes true? Ye you know yourself. For but yestereen ye has seen how the death can follow hard upon the doom. But there be times, nay, mostly are they so, when days or weeks have passed away ere the doom is fulfilled. Is this so? I asked. When you know the person regarding whom the doom is spoken. She answered with an air of certainty, which somehow carried conviction secretly with it. Even so, I know one who walks with the Aerith now, in the pride of his strength. But the doom has been spoken of him. I saw him with this very een lie prone on the rocks, with the water rinnin' down from his hair. And again I heard the minute bells, as he went by me on a road where there's no bell for a score of miles. Ay, yet again I saw him, in the kirk itself, with corbies flying round him, and mare gathering from afar. Here was indeed a case where second sight might be tested, so I asked her at once, though to do so I had to overcome a strange sort of repugnance. Could this be proved? Would it not be a splendid case to make known, so that if the death happened, it would prove beyond all doubt the existence of such a thing as second sight? My suggestion was not well received. She answered with slow scorn. Beyond all doubt, doubt, what is there that doots being o' the doom? Learn ye too, young sir, 
that the doom and all thereby is no for trafficking with them that only cares for curiosity and publicity the voice and the vision of the seer is no for fine madams and idle gents to while away their time in play-toy make-believe i climbed down at once pardon me i said i spoke without thinking i should not have said so to you at any rate she accepted my apology with a sort of regal inclination but the moment after she showed by her words that she was after all but a woman i will tell ye that so in the full time ye may have no doubt yourself for ye are a seer and as them they has the power have given ye the gift it is no for me the like of me to cumber the road or their doing know ye then and remember weel how it was told ye by Grimala MacNeil that Launchlane MacLeod or the Outer Isles had been called, though as yet the voice had no sounded in his ears but only in mine. But ye will see the time. She stopped suddenly as though some thought had struck her, and then went on impressively. When I saw him lie prone on the rocks, there was ain that bent o'er him that I kent not in the night what it was, though the light o' the moon was around him we shall see we shall see without a word more she turned and left me she would not listen to my calling after her but with long strides passed up the beach and was lost among the sandhills chapter two recording by crystal treader